Good morning, everybody. Um, so today it's uh, my my joy to be here, or maybe not your joy. <laughs> um, so let's just um, pray before we start, shall we? Father God, thank you that we can come together this morning. Thank you that we can come together without fear of being persecuted. And Father, we just ask that this morning that we would be open to you, um, to hear your word, Lord Jesus. And even if it's words that we've heard many times before, Father, I just pray that you'd fall, just uh, make it fresh to us, Lord Jesus. Just pray that nobody would leave here this morning without um, knowing and having a touch from you. Father, we just ask it in your name. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to be speaking about the Lord's Prayer. Um, I've not heard many people speak on the Lord's Prayer, and perhaps there's a good reason for that, because there is actually so much in it, and you could take each one of these um, lines from the Lord's Prayer and just speak about that individually. But I'm just going to go through kind of like the Lord's Prayer as it is. Um, Can anyone remember the first time they started saying the Lord's Prayer? In nursery? Yeah. Um, Anyone else? In Sunday school? Anyone used to say it in school? In school, yeah. Um, Would people in school be able to say it in school now? Is the Lord's Prayer said in school? Who said yes? It is said in school, is it? In faith schools only. Um, So it's something that um, is probably less known now as well. But I think for us older ones, we probably know it by rote and probably are very familiar with the words. And so it's quite easy to become familiar with words and them not mean anything. So we're just going to kind of like go through it. So first of all, I'm going to read from Matthew 6, 15 to 14. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when you sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So I don't think we can really just take this prayer and just talk about it. We actually need to put it in the context in which it was written. So in Matthew, um, just before they talk about the Lord's Prayer, it's um, Jesus has gone up to the mountain, he's, um, gone, he's done the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about the Beatitudes to the disciples. So he's preceded it um, with um, talking about the Beatitudes, so 
and then about the spiritual practices and values. So, for example, in chapter 5, verse 22, he, he says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with you, brother, will be subject to judgment. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer uh, your gifts. And then verse 43, he says, talk, love your enemies. And then in chapter 6, um, giving to the needy. And then the passage moves on um, into prayer. So Jesus would have been very familiar with the routines, the Jewish routines and traditions of prayer. So they would have been praying three times a day. There would have been morning, afternoon, and evening. And there would also be set prayers, which would be followed. So there would be a tradition of prayers, had been said. And also there would be a tradition of standing and saying the prayers as well. So in verses 5 to 7, he tells his disciples not to be hypocrites, not to stand where people see you, to go, but to go and pray in a secret place. Not to keep on sprouting words, which he refer, refers to as babbling. So the Lord's Prayer, as we look at it, is actually written in, in what they call six petitions, which are separated into two parts. The first is a focus on God's greatness, so the petition one is, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So they're, they're considered like the first part of it, and they're the first three petitions. And that's God's greatness. Verse 30, 11 to 13 is the next three petitions. So our daily bread, our debts, and talking about temptation, do not be tempted. And it's a focus on our needs and our behavior. It's not actually focused on our wants. So... Let's look at the first part. It says, our Father who is in heaven. So our Father who is, um, is addressed is distinct from human fathers here on earth. He's king, but he's also father. And that makes it quite difficult, isn't it? Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know how to sort of relate to him sometimes. Because it's like, he's awesome, but he's also your father. How does that work? He has the supreme right to be worshipped. He is not of this world. He created it and everything in it, including you and me. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as Father 65 times in the Synoptic Gospels and over 100 times in John. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus doesn't refer to God as Father until the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapter 6, he refers to the Father 12 times. So I think Jesus is actually saying something about Father. It's about a relationship. He's emphasizing to the disciples that there's a new relationship with God. He's not just the judge and lawgiver, but he's also our Father. So Father can also be translated um, as Abba, which assumes an intimacy in a relationship. It's not a distant relationship. It's not an austere, distant God, uh, Father. Uh, although Abba was a term used to address um, children, um, children used, like Daddy, it was also a term that older children and adults used as well. So it's not just a little child talking to a father. It's actually, you know, a, an adult-father relationship as well. It, it covers all the ages. But this is very different than the Old Testament. God is specifically called, in the Old Testament, God is specifically called the father of Israel of nation or the father of certain individuals only about 15 times. So it's quite a different, it's a change in our relationship. Calling God father implies that he is accessible, that we no longer need to bring sacrifices other than ourselves, and it's a relationship that God wants with us. 
in John, 1 John 3, 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I'm aware not everyone will have had a positive relationship with their father or may have not have even known their father. But we can't compare our earthly father with our heavenly Abba Father God. He's not of this world. He's holy, righteous and pure. We are adopted into his family. Can we just play that video clip, please? I stood nervously in the courtroom, a beautiful two-year-old girl fidgeting in my arms. She munched raisins and played with the ribbons on her dress as I waited impatiently for the verdict. Her curly blonde hair blatantly betrayed the fact that she did not share my DNA. But that did not matter to the judge, as he decreed from that day onward she would share everything that my family stood for. The judge stamped the paperwork, adopted. And that was the day I became her father forever. That was the day she took on my name, forever. We were ushering in a new phase of our family, together. When I read or say the Lord's Prayer, I notice the same connections. We pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We say, your kingdom come. I believe that as we understand our adoption into God's family, we unlock something, the mystery and the majesty of this prayer. Seven years after I adopted my daughter, I found myself once again waiting a verdict. Another child needed to be welcomed permanently into my family. This time it was a four-year-old boy who had had the most difficult of starts in life. As a result, he often used to hide in the furthest corners of the house. He avoided other people at all costs. He hardly spoke. One afternoon, he suddenly appeared in the kitchen, silently holding up to me a toy car with a broken wheel. I fixed it for him, and off he went to hide again. A couple of minutes later, he returned, offering me the vehicle, broken again. I fixed it again. And again. After ten or twelve occasions, a guest in my house got a little exasperated and suggested that I should throw the car away. With a tear in my eye, I explained that this broken car might just be the best thing that he owned. It was bringing us together. It was forging communication between a doctor and a adoptee. It was enabling him to begin to trust me as a father desperate for him to know love and care. When we pray, thy kingdom come, when we pray for our family, friends and neighbours to come to know Jesus Christ, we're offering up our broken world for God to fix. And as we pray, we're learning to trust the Father who has adopted us. We're ushering in a new family future together. We're embarking on an adoption adventure that will change the world. Thank you. What I really, one of the things I really like that vid, about that video clip is that it's a picture of somebody providing a safe space for a really vulnerable person. And it takes a while for that child to come to that adult to bring his, his toy, his really precious toy. Perhaps that's the only thing he brought from his previous life. Um, and there's a trust there, isn't there? You know, he's brought along that toy. 
But what I also like is that the, the father isn't domineering. He's not trying to push the child. He leaves, is open with that relationship. He allows that child to come to him. And that's how the Father God is with us. He, open, he, he provides that safe place for us, but it's for us to come to him. Holy is your name. He's absolutely unique because he alone is infinite, unchanging and eternal. He is infinitely more important than any man or woman. His value is supreme. He cannot be charged with any wrong. God is a holy God. The idea behind the concept of holiness is separation. It comes from a word meaning to be cut off or separate, because he cannot tolerate any sinfulness, any sin or evil. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I think that probably the Israelites um, and those in the Old Testament had a much better understanding of God's holiness compared to what we have today. There was a lot more reverence and awness that they, they understood that. I don't think we understand that today. I certainly don't. In the Old Testament, there are examples of God's holiness. So, for example, in Exodus 3, God attracts Moses' attention by a burning bush. And when Moses gets closer, God says to him, Do not come any closer. God says, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, it's quite hard, isn't it, trying to get that picture of God and his holiness and a picture of the Father God and trying to bring those together. But he says he's holy, but he's also our Father. And also, um, for example, the Ark of the Covenant, um, the chest that um, held the Ten Commandments, when David was taking that to Jerusalem, it was taken on an ox cart. And then user who wanted to steady it, put his hand out, and he touched it, and he died. Because the Lord's anger burned against user because of his irreverent act. In this text, it's not referring just to God as being holy, but it's also referring to his name as well as holy. You know, it's, it says, holy is your name. In the Ten Commandments, one of the, the third commandment is say, you shall not use, misuse the, the name of your Lord God in vain. You will hold, the Lord will, um, will hold, not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You know, I remember when I was younger, my mum used to tell me off for using the Lord's name in vain, and I just couldn't understand that. But now I can. <laughs> Even though mum didn't used to go to church, um, you know, she, she put that in me, not to use his name in vain. And I will say that now to some people as well. Names in Judaism have a much more significant meaning. It's not just a person to give name someone to give a, their identity, but it also reflects their character as well. So there are about 16 different names of God in the Old Testament, and the names were considered just as holy as God, to the extent that Jews wouldn't speak them out or even write them as well. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will should be carried out here on earth as it is in heaven. His good and pleasing will. How do we know what this will is? His will for earth 
is that of heaven. God created the earth and the heaven and everything in it. If you think of back at the beginning of Genesis, it talks about the Garden of Eden and the perfection that there was there. And I'm sure God, he says here, wants it here on earth as well. You know, he wants that perfection here on earth. We know that God the Father sent his only son to die for each one of us. So we know that salvation is an important part of his will. That, but no one is worthy, but it's through the grace of God and Jesus dying for us that each one of us is able to have a unique relationship with the living God. Jesus said he was here to do the will of the Father. In John 4.3, he tells the disciples as they are worried, <laughs> they're worried that he's not eating. I'd be the same. <laughs> you haven't eaten. Come on, let's go and eat something. But Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him, of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Later in in John, Jesus also describes as not being able to do anything without it being in line with the will of God. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So this is Ethan Jesus. He's following the Father. So how much more should we be following the will of God? And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though Jesus would have known that he would have been going to his death long before he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's still struggling. He knows what it's going to mean. He knows the pain that that's going to bring in many more ways than one. But he says at the end of it, not my will, but yours. So how do we know the will of God for our lives? Well, we need to read his word and also to pray. But praying sort of needs to be a two-way conversation as well. Not just us babbling away, asking for our needs, reciting our wants, going on about our moans, but also allowing time for God to respond and to speak to us as well. So have you ever been frustrated when you speak to people and have a conversation with them and they tell you how they're doing, how fantastic their life is, or they come and just tell you all the problems that they're having, or you know how fantastic it is, their, their work that they're doing, and you come away and you realise they haven't even asked how you are. How does it make you feel? You know, sometimes I can, like, come away with relief going, oh, thank goodness for that. I've had enough of that. And then you don't want to really... You want to avoid that person, don't you, in the future? Because it's like, they, they're not interested. They, all they want to do is talk about themselves. Maybe that's God, how God sometimes feels about our monologues. Maybe we actually sort of need to just stop and just listen. And that's also a discipline as well. So how do we pray? We need to stop and listen. And it's a habit. It becomes a habit as well to stop and listen. And if we believe we've heard something from God or have a sense of something from God, we need to make sure that it aligns with the Bible as well. So we need to pray and read his word. So give us this day our daily bread. 
it's not just on the fo- just the physical, but it's the spiritual as well. Bread was a powerful symbol of God's provision for his people, both in the Old and the New Testament. When the Israelites fled from Egypt, they were in the desert and they were complaining that they had no food, that life was much better back in Egypt where they at least had meat to eat. And the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread of heaven for you and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day. And it reminds me of that great hymn, Bread of Heaven. I've been singing it well in my head. (laughs) And in the Gospel of John, we are told about the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples were really worried. There's all these people here. They're hungry. And Jesus says, it's, it's sort of challenging them. Um, And he says, you know, what are we going to do? And uh, one of the disciples says, it's going to take more than a half year's wages. And where are we going to get the bread from? You know, they're here, they're here now. But a miracle occurs. Um, Five small barley loaves and two small fish are brought by a little little boy. And then they go amongst 5,000 and there's lots left over to spare as well. You know, bread of heaven. In the same chapter later on, Jesus talks to the disciples as him being the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying he is essential for life. And Jesus is also saying it's not just the physical, but it's here now, but it's also for eternal life as well. If we don't have our daily dose of God, how are we going to to get on and and do what we need to do? Sorry. It also reminded of us not to worry about tomorrow and to focus on this, on today because we're focusing give us this day our daily bread and later in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus goes on to tell us not to worry so do not worry saying what shall we eat what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. I think this is more of a a challenging one. It's quite clear that we need to be regularly asking God to forgive us our sins. God is perfect and cannot abide sin. Therefore, we need to come presentable before the Father. Has anyone been to meet the Queen at all? You have. And what did you wear? (laughs) A suit. And a tie. And did you have a shave before you went as well? Yeah. You're togged up. So, if you go to meet the Queen, if you're going to a garden tea party with her... You would obviously have a new suit, maybe not a new suit, but, you know, you'd do your hair. You'd go and polish your shoes. You'd have a shave. <laughs> Perhaps not Dave, but anyway. Ladies, you might um, buy a new frock. You know, we'd go cleaned up, wouldn't we? 
we'd present our best. We'd want to be looking and smelling our best before the Queen. You know, and that's the same with God. We need to come cleaned up before him. We need to ask forgiveness from him to come before him. So even if you've made a commitment over 40-odd years ago, you still need to come to the Lord regularly and ask for your sins to be forgiven. You know, we need to be aware ourselves what we might be offending other people, you know, and be open to, you know, faults being pointed out. And who doesn't like a fault being pointed out? It's not always an easy process, and it's a bit humbling, but we need to also be open to that. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. Having, not forgiving someone, you know, can have not just a spiritual impact, but it's been proving, proven that it can have a physical impact as well. Studies have shown that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. That's pretty, pretty big, isn't it? And research points to an increase in the forgiveness, forgiveness health connection as you age as well. So how do we forgive? So I forgive you isn't really just, it's not an active thing, is it? We actually need to, to mean it as well. And one study found that people whose forgiveness came in part from understanding that no one is perfect were able to resume a normal relationship with the other person, even if the other person had never apologized. So it's acknowledging that none of us are perfect, that actually we fall short and they fall short. Those who only forgave in an effort to salvage the relationship wound up, wound up in a worse relationship. Interesting, isn't it? And generally, it's difficult to do this in, a, in our own and in isolation. We need the love of God to be able to forgive. Maybe to see the other person's perspective. Maybe we need sort of that revelation. Maybe to help with the heal, the pain that has been said or done. And a good, good way to start is actually to ask God to help in that and also to start blessing that other person as well. Basically, God says it's essential. If we want God's forgiveness, we need to forgive others. The ending of the prayer is followed by verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins your father will not forgive your sins. That's quite frightening, isn't it? So we need to search our hearts. If we don't forgive others, we may not know the forgiving love of God. So the last one is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what does temptation mean? The dictionary definition is the wish to do or have something that you know you should not do or have. In the Bible, the word temptation primarily denotes a trial in which a person has a free choice of being faithful or unfaithful to God. If you note the word choice. One writer put it, there are situations we may find ourselves in where the exit door is clearly seen and the way of escape is evident. These are tests. 
Whenever God leads us into these kinds of situations, there's always a clear exit route labelled. So I like how it's written in the message. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. No temptation, test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So, my very dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. We need discernment. We need to be listening to God. So that goes back to the reading the Bible and to, to praying as well. We need to be listening to God to steer us away from those things that aren't going to do us any good, that aren't going to honour uh, God. You know, you might um, see someone having a glass of wine or eating a chocolate, but you know if you start, you won't stop. So you need not to start in the first place. And if it's a problem, you need to remove yourself from that situation. But sometimes that takes strength to do that, and that's where we need to lean on God to do that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. By going through temptations, we are having to be reliant on God. We are looking to God for his help and support rather than being overcome by the devil. Deliver us from evil. There is an assumption here that we can't do it alone. We need God to help us. It's a prayer to protect us from evil and have the victory over sin. So there's victory in and through Jesus. And this prayer highlights principles of how we're to do that. So I, I think, personally, we can still use this prayer. I think we can say it. But it's also an example of how we should pray as well. First, honouring our Father, and then coming to our own needs afterwards. So that's a bit of a whistle-stop tour through the Lord's Prayer. If, you, if there's anything that um, has resonated with you today and you want prayer for, please don't leave before um, getting some prayer. But before we finish, can we just stand and we'll say the Lord's Prayer together? Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive those that set us against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Um, there'll be tea and coffee at the end if anyone wants to. Thank you.